0: Well good morning everyone and yes we're going to continue from Mark 3. We're going to pick up from verse 14 where we left off last week. We've just begun a study the apostles of Christ. This is part of our long-term study of Mark's gospel and this is where we find ourselves. Mark chapter 3. When Jesus appointed the 12 apostles we saw last week that this was an incredible event that spoke so much to the identity of christ jesus assembling these 12 men around him symbolizing the 12 tribes of israel assembling around the tabernacle the glory of god shows us clearly that jesus is god in the flesh he is the eternal uncreated son of god it also pointed to Jesus bringing in the new Exodus, the one who would bring in all God's people from all the corners of the land, a spiritual Exodus, a, a spiritual deliverance. Just as God had gathered the tribes around him after the Exodus from Egypt, so Jesus gathers these twelve, symbolizing this greater Exodus, a salvation from bondage to sin. It also pointed to the fact that this new covenant community would be a covenant not based on race, but solely on faith. When the, when Jesus appointed the apostles, it showed his supreme authority. He had the power to do that, and he had the power to, to point to all that, that symbolized. But it also showed us that he was conferring that authority on the twelve they would be his representatives his delegates now it is often thought that the word apostle means sent one but it means more than that an apostle was someone who acted with the authority of the one who sent him he wasn't just sent to share a message he was sent with the authority of the one who sent him now last week we focused on the appointment of the apostles this week i want us to understand more about their assignment that is the reasons that they were chosen what were they to do it's imperative to to have a have a good understanding of biblical apostleship because as mentioned last time there are many many who say that apostles of the lord are still operating today these people claim they are operating with the same level of authority as the original apostles. They claim they're still receiving direct revelation from God. They claim they have the same power to do miracles and the same mandate to direct the affairs of the church. I mentioned the organisation called the International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. This uh, group convened in the year 2000 and for about 10 years was under the leadership of the presiding apostle a man by the name of Peter Wagner now in his book uh, apostles today Peter Wagner claimed that according to his studies the second apostolic age began around the year 2001 although he doesn't actually cite what these studies are but he was an apostle so I guess we just have to believe him Now, he labels this current moving of the Spirit the New Apostolic Reformation. You may have come across that term or you may have come across its acronym, the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation. Now, let me just quote what he says in this book. He says, It is a reformation because we are currently witnessing the most radical change in the way of doing church since the Protestant Reformation. It's apostolic because the recognition of the gift and office of apostle is the most radical of a whole list of changes from the old wineskin. That's the old way of doing things. And it's new to distinguish it from several older traditional church groups that have incorporated the term apostolic into their official name. Now, there are several problems with the title New Apostolic Reformation first as he's even acknowledged it's not new people claiming to have apostolic authority have been been around throughout the centuries all the cults would fit under this like the jehovah's witnesses or the mormons with a leader claiming to have direct revelation and authority from god the catholic church would fit here too with the pope claiming to hold the authority of the apostle peter so there's nothing new about claiming to have apostolic authority secondly it's not apostolic because as we'll see this morning the office and the gift of apostle was used by god to establish the foundation of the church in the first century and foundation once laid is finished so it's not apostolic and third it's not even a reformation you see the protestant reformation was characterized by sola scriptura and sola fide scripture alone faith alone this movement in the 21st century is not interested in god's sufficient revelation in the words of the old and new testament but rather it's interested in seeking to gain new insight from god which most of the time is contradictory to what we find in god's old revelation in the bible This movement is also not characterised by faith alone. You see, there's no emphasis on trusting in the perfect atoning work of Christ for justification. There's no real call for repentance of sin. It's all about experience, gaining an experience of God. So the new apostolic reformation is neither new, neither apostolic, nor is it a reformation. But people buy into it because they're unaware of what the scriptures actually teach concerning the apostles of the lord yet even a a simple glance at the claims of those within the nar should be enough to steer everyone away if we take peter wagner for instance in another of his books he writes and i quote i made an apostolic proclamation in the name of the lord that mad cow disease in Europe would immediately stop. A month later, a friend sent me a newspaper article from England stating that the last recorded case of mad cow disease was in September 2001. Now, is that amazing? No, that's just ridiculous because a simple Google search shows that the following year, 2002, there were 1,144 cases of mad cow disease reported in the United Kingdom. Now, a true apostle of the Lord could never make a declaration from the Lord that turned out to be wrong, and so wrong. Now, you don't need a theology degree to tell you that you should not be listening to someone like that, but many still do. So, let's focus now on understanding more about the true apostles of the Lord. It may be helpful for yourself in your own understanding. It may be helpful for you in your conversations with others. And I pray that this will be edifying to you as we look to the word of God. So Mark 3, reading verses 13 to 15. And he, that is Jesus, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So we've seen their appointment. Let's now look at their assignment. Jesus appointed them so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons demons and these verses here give us two aspects to the assignment of the apostles of the lord jesus christ jesus appointed them for two reasons the first was that they might be with him and the second that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons and we'll look at these two aspects and then we'll explore how the rest of the new testament expands on these and what that means when we consider the claim that there are apostles among us today well the first part of the apostles assignment was simply to be with jesus he chose them so that they might be with him now in the context of mark chapter 3 we can see that if he didn't withdraw from direct conflict with the pharisees at that point there would not have been a chance for discipleship Jesus displayed great wisdom and prudence in that action. Now, why would Jesus want to spend time with these 12 men? Well, by this point, he had already made it clear that he would not be physically around forever. In Mark 2, some people were complaining to Jesus that his disciples were not fasting as the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees were. Now, what was Jesus' response? mark 2 verse 20 the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day and so right here at the beginning of jesus public ministry he was already making clear the assertion that he had come to die he knew his mission he knew that he would physically walk this earth for a certain amount of time but then would come the cross And so in choosing the twelve, Jesus makes preparation for his time of departure. And the gospel accounts tell us, and then also in Acts, that it would be of benefit that Christ ascended to heaven, physically ascended to heaven after his resurrection, because then he would send the Holy Spirit to indwell all believers. He would be with his people through the Spirit. But he would establish his church through the apostles, those upon whom he conferred his authority. And for the apostles to be ready for leading the church, they needed to be with Jesus. They needed to be taught by him. They needed to see what true righteousness was every second of the day. They needed to know what godliness, what a life pleasing to God really looked like. They needed to witness firsthand the incredible love of Christ in the way that he dealt with people, with the disciples, with the lost, with his enemies. For those three years, they walked with him, they talked with him, they ate with him, they ministered with him. That's a big part of what discipleship is, just being with someone. It's about presence. If the apostles were to grow as disciples, as followers of Christ, they needed to be with Christ. Now, we can take an incredible lesson from Christ in this, in the way that discipleship should be carried out in the church today. Christ is not now physically here on earth, but he is with his people through his spirit. And those who are longer in the faith can be a blessing to those who are younger in the faith simply by their presence, by walking with them, by showing the way you live and talk as a Christian. For in these ways you demonstrate what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But Christ's efforts here were intentional. And so we too need to think and pray how each one of us can be more intentional in the way we disciple others. And all of us can be involved in that. Now in the church, there will always be those who you can look to, but there will always be those who look to you. Just a couple of suggestions here. Can you think of someone that you could meet with and read the scriptures with once a week? Can you think of someone you can invite round to watch a sermon series through a book of the Bible or a doctrine of theology or, or a matter of practice? can you set yourself a connection to to pray with someone regularly just a few simple ideas in which discipleship can be more intentional all right well in getting back to the apostles while they were set apart here in mark chapter 3 as apostles for the most part in the gospels they're referred to simply as disciples now why is that it's because throughout the Gospels, the apostles were still learners. They sat at Jesus' feet. They listened to what he said. They watched what he did. Now, all that changed after the ascension of Jesus, where their authority is then unchallenged. But this came after sitting at the feet of Jesus. So, discipleship involves being in someone's presence but it also involves having opportunity to practice what you have been taught. And that's what we see in the second aspect of the Apostles' assignment. He appointed them that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. In Mark 3, verse 11 and 12, Jesus rebuked the demons, not allowing them to speak about him. But here we see Jesus setting up proper representatives. Now, just to give you an understanding of the chronology of Jesus' ministry and and how the Gospels harmonize together, what we read here in Mark 3 is the initial setting apart of the apostles. And in Luke 6, we also read the exact same event. So at this point, Jesus sets them apart. And the practical reason is that they might be prepared to go out as his representatives at a later stage. But that going out doesn't happen at this point. They still need time to begin with to be under Jesus' wing. The actual sending of the apostles comes in Mark chapter 6, which is also recorded in Luke 9 and in Matthew 10. So... Jesus appoints his apostles, and then after a time, he sends them out with his authority. An authority to preach the word, and an authority to cast out demons. From Mark 6, we also learn that the apostles not only had the authority to cast out demons, but also heal any physical infirmity. The twelve were given the authority of Christ just as christ jesus validated the message he preached by the miracles that he performed so also did the apostles but again during the gospel accounts prior to the ascension of christ the apostles were still learners now let's just look at the chronology again and i'll show you what i mean further so in mark 3 jesus sets apart his apostles In Mark 6, Jesus sends out his apostles and they do all that Jesus had told them to do, preach, cast out demons, heal. And then we notice something else in Mark chapter 9. Now, you can turn there if you want, but let me just summarise. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus goes up on a mountain and is gloriously transfigured before Peter, James and John which is another sign of his deity, isn't it? see the full glory of Christ. But then, when they come back down, what do they find? They find people arguing with the other apostles, uh, because these apostles were unable to cast a demon out of a boy. Now, hang on. Less than a year earlier, they were able to do that successfully. Now, had they lost their authority no jesus doesn't rebuke them for trying to cast out the demon he rebukes them for the way they tried to cast it out seems they were focusing on the wonder of their gift their own abilities rather than god as the one who gave them their power so prior to the ascension of christ the apostles are learners their disciples in the main Yet in Acts, after the ascension of Christ, after the empowering of the Spirit, we read of the apostles' supreme authority as Jesus' representatives. They claimed that authority, they exercised that authority, they proved their authority. The healing miracles of the apostles in Acts is incredible. Now, the only healings not performed in acts by the apostles are are done by a man who are directly associated with the apostles Uh, these men were stephen philip and barnabas now aside from these rare instances it's not the church as a whole doing these miracles it's the apostles in acts 3 peter speaks to the lame man at the temple and the guy gets up and dances away in acts 5 People lay their sick in the streets and are healed as Peter walks by and his shadow passes over them. In Acts 9, Peter heals a paralyzed man and then raises a woman from the dead. Now we get a kind of uh, summary of all of this, a commentary on it in Hebrews 2. Where the writer tells us that the gospel of salvation in verses 3 was declared at first by the lord and it was attested to us by those who heard these are the the witnesses the apostles while god also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the holy spirit distributed according to his will it's hebrews 2 verses 3 and 4 so this is the supreme authority of the apostles appointed by christ given the assignment of being his representatives and they demonstrated without doubt the authority of jesus so this leads us to ask some important questions were there any more apostles other than the 12 were there any more in the new testament are there any more apostles among us today How many were appointed and assigned the office and gift of apostleship? And is Jesus still appointing apostles in this era of the church? Now, it's not just an issue that we need to think about today. It was also an issue in the first century. In 2 Corinthians 11, the apostle Paul deals with the issue of false apostles, who he says are deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ if the church doesn't know who legitimate spokesmen for god are then it will find itself in all sorts of trouble so let's have a look firstly at what the gospels say and here it's pretty simple because only the 12 are designated as apostles and we also learn two specific qualifications for being an apostle of the lord first you had to be personally commissioned by christ himself and second you had to be able to verify your authority with the performance of miraculous signs pointed by christ performing miracles to validate that now at one point in jesus ministry recorded only in luke 10 jesus also appoints and sends out 72 others and amazingly these men are also given the authority to preach and the ability to heal but they were not given the title of apostle so it seems then that this authority was for a short time only whereas for the 12 the authority they received from jesus was a permanent fixture what about the book of acts well the book of acts opens with the 11 apostles judas having been killed sorry, having killed himself after betraying Jesus. And by the way, we'll look at that in more detail next week, the matter of how Judas could be appointed an apostle to represent Christ if he was someone who betrayed Christ. Did Jesus not see that coming? We'll deal with that next week. So in Acts 1, we read about the replacing of Judas, and they replaced him with a man named Matthias. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. After Jesus ascends, the apostles are speaking about the need to replace Judas. Seeing fulfilment of that in the Old Testament scriptures, let another take his office. We read in verse 20 and then from verse 21 to 26 we read this. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23, And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which judas turned aside to go to his own place verse 26 and they cast lots for them and the lot fell on matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles now does matthias receive a personal commission from christ yes the disciples prayed to the lord to reveal who it was he wanted as his disciples and this was revealed when the lot fell on matthias is his apostleship confirmed with the performing of miracles yes a bit later in acts 5 verse 12 we read now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles that's all the apostles Matthias included what we also see in this short account in acts 1 is that it adds a third qualification to be an apostle being a witness to the resurrection of Jesus and not merely having a vision or a dream but seeing with his own eyes Christ Jesus in the flesh. Now, we read about the work of the apostles further throughout the book of Acts but the only names other than the 12 who are mentioned as apostles are Paul and Barnabas. So turn with me to Acts 14. Because here we read two verses that speak of Paul and Barnabas as being apostles. But when Luke writes that these men are apostles, are we to think that they are on par with the 12? Acts 14, well, the answer to that in this chapter is no, not from this section. Now, I'm not denying Paul's apostleship. He certainly was an apostle of the Lord, like the Twelve. I'll explain that more in a moment. But we don't understand his true authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ from Acts 14. And neither do we need to think that Barnabas is an apostle of the Lord either. So in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are on the first of Paul's missionary journeys and when they got to a place called iconium they preached up a storm and this brought out many unbelieving jews who stirred up the people against them and then in verse four we see the reaction but the people of the city were divided some sided with the jews and some with the apostles it's the first mention then in verse five we read about an attempt on their lives that was being planned so paul and barnabas continued to the city of lystra when they arrived paul healed a man with crippled feet and the people were amazed and thought paul and barnabas were the greek gods hermes and zeus and they wanted to offer sacrifices before them and we read then in verse 14 and 15 but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying "Men, why are you doing these things now it's clear that luke refers to paul and barnabas as apostles but when we see the wider context it also becomes clear that he means apostle in a different sense to that of the 12 so go back to chapter 13 and look at verses 1 to 3 this uh little section here tells us how the first missionary journey came about to begin with acts 13 verse 1 now there were in the church at antioch prophets and teachers barnabas simeon who was called niger lucius of cyrene Manaen a lifelong friend of herod the tetrarch and saul and we know that saul is paul saul is His Hebrew name, Paul, is his Roman name. So these five men, some who were prophets, some who were teachers, these were the leaders of the church at Antioch, which was the main church established north of Jerusalem. So we read in verse 2, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them and most probably this word from the spirit came through one of the prophets among them the word is to set aside barnabas and paul for god's special work so what do they do verse 3 then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so how are they commissioned here is it a personal commission from the risen jesus no it is the holy spirit's word given through one of his prophets Now, that's absolutely astounding, but it's not the same as what happened to the 12. And who does ascending here? Well, it's the leaders on behalf of the church. This helps us understand what Luke means when he refers to Paul and Barnabas as apostles. They're apostles in that they acted with the authority of the one who sent them. Who were they sent by? The church at Antioch they were set apart for the holy spirit but they were sent from the church now you might also notice in verse 4 it tells us that it was the spirit who also sent them but again this is not a personal commission from the risen christ so it is different from the 12 we need to recognize that there is a distinction in the new testament between apostles of christ the lord and apostles of the church In Acts 14, Luke speaks of Paul and Barnabas as apostles of the church at Antioch. Now, there are two other places where we see this kind of thing in the New Testament. you don't need to flick to these, but you can just make make a note. 2 Corinthians 8, Paul's giving commendation to certain men who've been commissioned by the church to gather a monetary gift. He says in verse 23... 2 corinthians 8 verse 23 as for titus he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit and as for our brothers they are messengers of the churches glory of christ now the word translated messenger is the same word translated elsewhere as apostle but these men were coming as delegates of the churches not of christ himself The other reference is in Philippians 2, verse 25, where Paul says to the church in Philippi, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. So here again, the word translated messenger could also be translated as apostle. Epaphroditus is the representative of the church of Philippi he is their apostle not an apostle of christ now there is certainly a major difference in scripture between one who is recognized as an apostle of the lord jesus christ and one who is an apostle of the church a messenger of the church a delegate of the church the apostles of the churches did not meet the qualification of an apostle of the lord They did not have the same authority. Now, if someone is being sent from a church today, perhaps as a missionary or a church planter, it would be terribly unhelpful and confusing language to refer to them as apostles. Because while they're commissioned from a local church, delegates and messengers sent from a local church, they do not come with the authority of Christ that was given to the apostles of the lord in the first century well let's think now specifically about paul as we've seen he is not referred to as an apostle of christ within the book of acts but remember those three qualifications for being an apostle of the lord number one you had to be commissioned personally by christ himself number two You had to be able to verify your authority with the performance of miraculous signs. And number three, you had to be a witness to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so while Luke does not refer to Paul in Acts as an apostle of the Lord, he is certainly at pains to show that Paul meets these qualifications. Luke, he records three separate times the account of paul's conversion in acts chapter 9 chapter 22 chapter 26 and it is a conversion in which paul saw the risen lord jesus and was personally commissioned by christ luke also shows the extraordinary miracles that were done by paul he cast out demons he healed many people He even brought a man back from the dead. 2 Corinthians 12.12, Paul defends his ministry by highlighting the miracles he performed. 2 Corinthians 12.12, Paul says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So while Luke does not refer to Paul as an apostle of the Lord, there is no doubting that he understood Paul was an apostle of the Lord in the truest and highest sense. But Paul, he also makes his apostleship steadfastly clear throughout his own letters. For instance, he declares in Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man but through jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead now if some are inclined to think that this might simply be paul's own opinion then we can take the apostle peter's confirmation where he writes in 2 peter 3 that paul's letters were on par with the authority of the old testament scripture letters of paul which included definitive statements of paul's apostleship this is the apostle peter affirming the apostleship of paul in 1 corinthians 15 when paul gives evidence to the bodily resurrection of jesus christ by listing many witnesses to this fact whom his readers at the time could have gone and asked if they wanted to paul says in 1 corinthians 15 verse 8 last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me so one of the qualifications for an apostle of the lord was that he had physically and personally seen the resurrected christ but it's clear from 1 corinthians 15 that paul was the last one for whom that had happened so on this evidence alone no one no one at all can legitimately claim they are an apostle of the lord today are there any other references to apostles mentioned in the letters of the new testament well suggestions have been made that james the brother of the lord was considered an apostle also silas perhaps even apollos but i don't believe these suggestions hold up under scrutiny now i won't go through these now but i'd be more than happy to talk about those references later the New Testament shows that the apostles of the Lord were the 12 in which Judas was replaced with Matthias and then the apostle Paul who was the apostle to the Gentiles. There are no apostles today. There was no succession planned to the office of apostle. Once these men died, that was the end of the apostles. You can simply see that in the history of the new testament what happened as the church grew under the leadership of the apostles did they set up apostolic replacements no the leadership of individual churches passed on to the local elders now the scriptures clearly teach that each local congregation is to respectfully submit to the leadership of their elders for instance hebrews 13 verse 17 we read obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. We also read another reference in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, saying the same thing. Submission to eldership is clear, right? But the authority of the elder is not, absolutely not, the authority of the apostles. The elders are not apostles the elders are men gifted by god to lead a local congregation but they're not infallible and their authority is only found in the word of god the apostles however were the ones through whom god revealed his word to the church and so an elder can say thus says the lord only as his finger is pointed to chapter and verse whereas an apostle declared thus says the lord by direct revelation from God as Christ's chosen representative. You can see the slight difference there. Now, while there was no apostolic succession, no apostles after the 12 and Paul, their apostolic authority did not end because that carries through with the word of God. The New Testament writings added to the old testament so every book in the new testament was either written by an apostle or had direct influence from an apostle think of what jesus said to the apostles in the upper room john sixteen thirteen. jesus said when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come so in the Scriptures we have access to God's revealed word. It is a sufficient word, it is a complete word. Two Timothy three, sixteen to seventeen, we read All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work we do not need to be looking for further revelation from god further words from god because the scriptures are sufficient they are not lacking anything because they are able to make the man or indeed the woman of god complete equipped for every good work this is the authority of the apostles because it was through them that god gave us all the words we need for life and godliness yet as we've said there are many today who think otherwise there are many today who claim that apostles are among us now how do they do that if we've just looked through the biblical evidence how do they come to the conclusion that there are apostles among us well firstly they do that by ignoring the scriptures peter wagner writes there are three biblical characteristics of apostles which some include in their definition of apostle but which i've chosen not to include he says my reason for this is that i do not understand these three qualities to be non-negotiables and then He says, if a given individual lacks the anointing for one or more of them, this, in my opinion, would not exclude that individual from being a legitimate apostle. So there you have it. It's the easiest way to get around things. If you don't like what the Bible says, you simply ignore it. And if you claim to be an apostle like Wagner did, then you have the supreme authority to do so. But the second way to get around things is by twisting the scriptures. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 19 and 20. Ephesians 2. From verse 19, Paul writes that those who trust in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, that these are members of God's household a household that is verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone ephesians two twenty. A household of god is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone now peter wagner uses this as a proof text for recognizing the gift and office of apostle today Now, he writes, the foundation of the church through the ages is to be made up of apostles and prophets. Now, in saying this, what he's suggesting is that apostles and prophets are needed as a foundation of the church in every age, but actively needed as the foundation of the church in every age. If the church does not have active apostles and prophets in every age, then it has nothing to build on. But is that what the text says no that is not what the text says it doesn't say a new foundation is needed every age but that the church is built upon the one foundation of the apostles and prophets paul says the household of god is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone The apostles and prophets given to the church in the first century are the foundation of the church. They don't simply lay a foundation. They are the foundation. When you build a house, you lay one foundation and then everything gets built upon it. You don't lay a foundation and then continue to lay more foundations on that one foundation. So it is with what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. The apostles and the prophets of the New Testament era are the foundation of the church. And once that foundation was laid, their task was complete. And there's no need for subsequent apostles and also prophets. When the canon was closed with the writing of the book of Revelation towards the end of the first century the apostolic authority was encapsulated right there. So the gift of and office of apostle was unique and it was limited to the 12 and the apostle Paul. The apostolic authority is invested now solely in the sufficient word of scripture. This is what we are to submit to. This is what we are to obey. These are the words we are to love because they point us to christ jesus and the salvation that is found in him alone if we don't recognize this we will be vulnerable to others who will not seek to lead us to christ and to his words but away from him and to themselves but christ is our only refuge and he has ensured that this good news was made known through the ones whom he appointed and endowed with his authority and power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognise our vulnerability, our inability, to seek to live worthy lives before you. But we thank you that you have made clear in your word what you call us into, what you have done to bring about the salvation of your people, how you continue to bestow your grace within your people, enabling us to love and obey your word, to love and obey the living word, your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for all that we've looked at today enabling us to recognise how the authority of Christ was passed through to the authority of the apostles. And now we have that apostolic authority and every word of the New Testament joined to the Old Testament. We have your sufficient word. Please help us to rejoice in that. Please grow within us a deep desire to love your word, to learn to grow in our knowledge and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in him we pray. Amen.